Well, it's been great to uh, get over the New Testament survey as we got to get a bird's eye view of the Gospels and the book of Acts. And I thought it would be good for myself personally, but also for us, to go from the bird's eye view to now let's get down to the, the soil itself. And to see if that bird's eye view may actually help us interpret better as we look more closely at just a smaller section of one of the Gospels. And so the Gospel I thought would be cool to do some more focused looking is in the book of Mark. And as you remember, that was the first lesson we had of the New Testament survey. Uh, can you hear me? Can you go a little closer? Okay, there we go. I guess I can't move today. I'm going to have to stay still. That is not going to be easy. Pray for me. Uh, but as you remember, Mark was a one of the first Gospels written, most likely to the audience of the Romans. It was all about action. But if we need to remember the context of the timing of the Gospel of Mark. It was the one Gospel that most believe was actually written before the fall of the Temple, 70 AD in Jerusalem. And so therefore, if you think about it, if it was written between that 59 to 69, that at that time the church and the Gospel had been spread outside of Jerusalem, to Samaria, Judea, and now it's even into the Roman Empire. So you're getting both Jewish and Gentile converts. But at the same time, as we're approaching the destruction of the temple, we're also facing a lot of persecution. And so when you think about Mark is writing that gospel for that audience. He's writing to a church that is now both Gentile and Jewish, and it's facing persecution for the message that they're giving. So he's going to choose stories and even interpretations that aren't just reflecting back at the time with Jesus, but how would what Jesus said apply to them right now? And that's going to help us more correctly interpret what is meant by some of the things that Mark includes. And I want to look at a parable that we have all heard many messages on. I've done many messages on them, but I have to say I learned some new stuff as I come from the bird's eye view of the gospel down to the soil. Technically, that's the parable. The parable of the sower, which I actually think the name should be changed to the parable of the hearers. It's not really about the sower. And we're going to figure that out as we look deeper into it. Uh, what's amazing about this parable in particular is it's one of the few that's in all three of the synoptic Gospels. That means Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What's also very interesting with this parable is unlike the parables that Math, uh, Mark connects to it, it doesn't mention the kingdom of God. As you know, most of the parable says the kingdom is like. So that already says that this parable is unique, that there's a specific purpose for it. And Mark, of the three Gospels, is a great one to look at because it has the longest interpretation of that parable, not only to the disciples during the time it was spoken to Jesus, but now technically as Mark is interpreting it for the church in the 59 to 69 AD, which I'm going to see is actually very applicable to us today. And the real key the hermeneutical key, and the hermeneutics means just the interpretation. How do you interpret this to then be able to present it to our context? The key is actually in the middle between the actual parable and the interpretation in verse 13. It says this, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? 
That right there says this parable that Mark included is for a very specific purpose. That if you don't get this, you're not going to get any of them. It's a key to understanding how to interpret all the parables that Mark includes in his gospel. So do you think it's important for us to really understand this parable? Yeah. Yeah. Because I want to be able to understand the others. Now, parables in general are open to multiple meanings. That's one thing we need to understand. We don't talk as much in parables in our vernacular, in the way that we communicate, but in this time, parables were a very usual you know, rhetorical uh, type of literary work that they used. And they could have multiple meetings. However, the open-endedness of this particular parable, there's no mention of the kingdom, and the interpretation doesn't explain everything that's in the actual parable. It ignores some things. means that this open-endedness really does, as many commentaries believe, it really is a parable of parables. The fact that it includes an interpretation is a very special meaning, and so we're going to look more into that. Now, uh, just to give you a little understanding of those who study the rhetorical literary background of scriptures, when it comes to parables, there's a a great guy named, uh, let me make sure I got the name, Paul Ricoeur. He actually, in looking at parables, says there's really three specific things that you'll find in parables. Not all the parables have all three. But this one does. And here's what Paul, of course, says that most parables contain. And this parable that we're going to look at actually contains all three. First, narrative. So it's a story. It's a little story. Maybe true, maybe not true. We don't know. It may have just been a story Jesus created to prove a point. Or it could have been a story actually pulled from what they were looking at. We don't know today. We, the audience knew, but we don't. But even the audience didn't always understand, as we see later, the disciples need to ask Jesus, what did you mean by this? Okay? So there's a narrative. The second thing that you find is that there's a metaphorical process. So there's a use of metaphors. It could use, it could use an army metaphor. It can use a sewing metaphor, as we'll see in this particular one. It can use all kinds of different metaphors that actually are communicating something else than the actual metaphor that they're using. But the third, which you don't find in all the parables, but you definitely find it in this, a third thing, which is very cool, is a qualifier. In other words, there's something within it that is extravagant, maybe odd, or radical, and that it points toward the reign of God. Like, something in this story is like, okay, that's that's not going to be true without God involved. And we actually are going to see that in this parable. Now, what is the goal of the text? Well, what's interesting is some other concepts that Mark is including in this, and you'll we'll see it as we look at the way he leads to the interpretation, is this idea of being an insider and outsider. Now, I know we hate that in our society today, that, no, everyone's inside. Well, no, that's not true. There really is a line. There are those that are inside of God's family and know what God has given them to salvation, but there are also those who are outside. Now, God's goal is that everyone could be in the inside. Now, we aren't supposed to be on the inside going, we're on the inside, you're on the outside. That's not what God's saying. That would be very unchristian-like. But there is a line. There are the inside and there are the outside, and we're going to see that as we get to the transition from the actual parable and then eventually the interpretation. But I'm going to go ahead and give you the goal of the text. What I believe 
that Mark's purpose for this text was, and then we're going to examine it, we're going to get some exegesis from it, and let's see if it's true. Let's see if this is what Mark intended. I believe the goal of this text was to encourage the audience to keep sharing the gospel, no matter how the world responded. And when I think of that idea of just keep sharing, keep sharing, keep sharing, I just couldn't help but think of this clip. Let's show this clip. Hey, Mr. Grumpy Gills. When life gets you down, you know what you gotta do? I don't wanna know what you gotta do. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim, swim. Doreen, I'm singing. Oh, 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 I love to swim. Doreen. When you want to swim, you want to swim. See, I'm gonna get stuck now with that song. Now it's in my head. Sorry. And it's probably now stuck in your head as well. That thought of just keep swimming. Well, I'm going to change it a little bit to what I think Mark is trying to say. Just keep sewing. Just keep sewing. And so that's the title of the message today, all right? So I like that little clip. I just thought that would help us understand. So let's look at it. Is this what Mark was intending in, in, in having this included in the gospel to the audience that was there during persecution right before the temple's destroyed? And could that possibly apply in context to us today as well? Jesus taught many things in parables. And in this incident, He teaches what is often called the parable of the sower. But I think we may change the name by the end of this time. Let's go to it. Read Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. I've got to stop right there for a minute. If you recall that Mark is a book about action... An action always takes place in a setting. So the fact that Mark goes again, that's a signal. That's a signal to the audience that Mark's saying, pay attention. Because what happened again before in my writing, it's happening again, and that means pay attention. Also the fact that it says, by the lake. If you go back through the different teachings or miracles recorded in Mark, they always tend to be around a boat or a lake. So the minute we hear this, teach again, and we hear, by the lake, it's a whistleblower to go, pay attention, Mark's about to make a very important point. So that's a kind of a cool little literary trick that Mark uses in his gospel. If I hadn't gotten the bird's eye view, I probably would have never caught that. Now as I go in to the, the ground view, literally, in this parable, we're going to see that, that what he was doing, all right? So it says, the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out in the lake while the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen. Right there is a key to what Jesus ultimately is trying to accomplish. When he says listen, it's not just hear to understand. It means listen to what you need to obey. It's a command. It's an imperative. It's an exhortation. Listen. So we get to the interpretation, you're going to realize Jesus was giving them the clue to how to interpret right there in that command. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Now, if you recall back to when we did the overview of Mark, we know that Mark used the rule of threes. He used a lot of threes in some of his writing. Three stories, three characters, three statements. Even in this parable, we get sets of threes. You've got the set of the, the three seeds that are unproductive. And then you have the fourth seed. You've got the three adverse conditions. The path, the rocky soil, and then, of course, the thorns. And then you have the third, the three that are unproductive. And they're at different degrees of productivity. Some don't even do anything. Birds come and take it, there's nothing. Others, there's kind of some product, but it eventually dies out. Others, there's longer productivity, but ultimately choked out. So we see this set of threes again in this parable itself. And that's just kind of a cool little literary thing that Mark is doing. Now, they also have three failures. Of the four, there's three failures. What are the failures? One, not time to germinate. The seed was given, but there wasn't enough time to germinate. Something interfered or something didn't happen for the seed to bring forth fruit. Now, obviously, guys, we can look at this just in our own personal reaction, our heart, the soil to the Word of God. But again, I think we're going to see that's not what Mark's intending. We can use the parable for that, but I don't believe that's actually what he meant with it. But we all can be honest that in our times of the Word, sometimes we react like all four of them, do we not? Yeah. There's times we get up, we have the quiet time, and then the phone call comes, man. And before, before we're done with the call, we forget completely what we just read, right? It's kind of like the seed that doesn't germinate. The second failure, it withered in the sun. So that's kind of like the day where we have a quiet time, but the minute we face the first challenge of the day, that word disappears. You ever been there? Okay, right? And then the third failure, what's it say there? It's choked by the thorns. So you may have had a great quiet time, but by the end of the evening, you don't care what you read. I mean, oh, that's terrible. But let's be honest. You ever experienced that? Of the four, which tends to happen more often? The three that fail. And, and what's the challenge here, guys, and I think what God is trying to show us is accept the reality of that. That there's going to be times you get in the Word and it's just, you just don't respond. But if you give up because three of them don't work, You'll never get to the fourth. And what's so cool about the fourth is it's not just a good quiet time. It's one that multiplies 30, 60, 100 times. It may be the one quiet time out of the seven days that actually gets you to the next week. But if you give up after three, feeling like, oh, I just feel bored reading the Bible. So what? Keep reading. Keep sowing. Right? You might think, well, Derek, it's just, I can't be motivated. Like, okay, then let me ask you this. Every time you, every day that you get on Facebook and you're scrolling, or you get on Instagram, is it always life changing? But why do you still get on it? Isn't it boring? Is you just seeing the same thing or it's three days ago? But somehow, every day you still get on it for hours. No complaints. Yeah, it's not changing my life, but you still do it. Why do we give up on the Bible that can change us? So don't give me, it's boring. A lot of stuff you do is boring. 
but you still do it. I brush my teeth every day. I'm not like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like, man, how long is this going to take? Right? Guys, we need to understand that it's a process of the Bible getting to our hearts. But again, I don't think that's the ultimate purpose of this parable. But those are the things that happen. But the fourth soil, did it just produce a normal harvest? No. It did something absolutely unrealistic. That's a sign to us that, guys, it's God who makes it grow, not us. That's what it says. It's like, this is not something your soil can produce. You don't have the potential for it. Your soil can easily produce the other three. But the fourth one, you can't produce it, only God can. Now, here's another cool thing about this, because all of us who really do have evangelism on our heart, that we really do want to make a difference, that we want to make disciples of all nations. This is actually talking about God planting the seed. Look at his track record. Three out of the four are failures. So when we're sowing and sowing and it feels like there's nothing, should we get discouraged? No. At least three out of four is failures. Should we be surprised that we may be having some failures with our sowing? But I'll be honest, I get discouraged by those three failures, and I never keep sowing to get the fourth. I've realized that even in my own neighborhood. We've had opportunities, we've had a few people over, then they move, then you try to get in there with the people that move in, and that doesn't really go well. And I'll be honest, I've, I've had to judge myself and realize, man, I haven't kept sowing. I've actually allowed those failures to discourage me a little bit. And what actually revealed it wasn't me actually being aware of it. It's finding out that a family was moving down the street and going, oh, why haven't we done anything before they moved in? It convicted me. And it also showed me, like, maybe God's saying, Derek, you never meant to do it alone. You need this family to move in, and now work together. But I had to, I had to examine myself. You know, I love sermons where I can preach from my strength. I'm not preaching from my strength today. I'm preaching from my weakness. But I'm still going to preach it because i got to obey it too. But now I'm excited about this family moving down the street because now i got a partner. And we're going to go after our neighborhood. I'm going to start believing again. i got to keep sowing. But I too, guys, got discouraged by the three that seemed like it didn't bear any fruit. That's why we need to share with each other what God is doing. I was so encouraged by the Carters. Here's the Carters. Having a, a young baby, uh, he got jobs where he travels a lot, and yet they sowed in their neighborhood and they brought a neighbor to the church who's now your brother in Christ with Hendricks. Man, that's so inspiring to me. And I actually heard that they've been having some Bible talks talking about how to be good at sowing the neighborhood, and I heard it's phenomenal. So if you feel like your neighborhood's not doing well, talk to them. Okay? I think they got some, some clues that can help us out. But guys, we need to just keep on sowing because if we do one of the four is going to be miraculous I mean, think of it this way maybe your whole Christian life you only help one person become a disciple okay but what if that one ends up being a, a leader of a church planning that converts thousands where you can convert ten in your whole lifetime and that's it in other words, who cares the number? Just keep sowing. <laughs> you know? and, and that's what's exciting. Or 
Which one of your kids, because of your faithfulness, even when your kids were not interested, but eventually come around, might be our future youth and, minister, youth and family ministers? Yeah. And impact thousands of kids. Yeah. That's, that's why we've got to keep sowing, because we don't know. Three out of the four, though, guys, just be prepared. It may not be what you like. But if we keep sowing, God is telling us, just wait. That fourth time will be miraculous. And I think it's meant to be so that we never take credit. <laughs> you know, like, so we know that was God. So I'm waiting to hear some more God stories in 2018. I hope it's in our neighborhood. Amen? Pray for me. So the focus we see is not really the seed. And it's not even really the soil. It's the merging of the seed and the soil. That's the actual focus. Because the seed and the sowing was done the same to all four. Right? He did the same thing with all four. The fourth one changed. Why? Because of how the soil responded to the seed. How it heard the Word. I think this is a parable of the hearers, not a parable of the sower. Are we listening? Remember Jesus' command. Listen. Teens, you're about to go to teen camp. How's your heart going to respond to the Word? Because that's what this parable is focusing on. It's not focusing on the, the seed. It's not focusing on the soil by itself. It's focusing on what happens when the seed and soil do what they're meant to do. Something miraculous can happen. So how do we know this is really about listening? Why do, why do we think Mark wrote this to just encourage the church to keep on sowing? Because now let's move into the transition of what's going to take place. Because if you're really listening, then you're going to learn the secrets of the kingdom. Don't keep that to yourself. See, he goes on next and talks about the insider is going to know what is meant. Look at this in, re, in Mark chapter 4, verse 9. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, Jesus said it, not me, everything is said in parables. So if those that are hearing the parables that don't understand are on the outside, then those who do eventually understand, which by the way, even the disciples didn't understand, so technically they're outsiders at the moment, but the only way to become insiders is to be with Jesus. Being in the crowd won't make you an insider. They were in the crowd. They were close to Jesus. But until you actually follow Jesus daily and not just on a Sunday, because he shared this like a Sunday sermon, right? And then people left. But because they followed Jesus outside of that sermon and asked, they were curious, they wanted to know, now Jesus reveals it and allows them to become insiders. So let's just be honest, who wants to be an insider? Yes! How do I know that? Because we love gossip. It's human nature. We want to know what's going on. Right? Well, shouldn't we want to know what's going on in our faith? I want to, I want to be on the inside. I want to be on the outside. Now, I don't want to be on the inside and then go, hey, you're on the outside. That, no, I don't want to do that. Because I'll be back on the outside before I know it. Okay? But in order to get on the inside, you have got to go to Jesus. You've got to go to the Word. There's no other way. 
But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? Then how will you understand any parable? What's interesting is Mark is quoting Isaiah, and if you go to that actual text in Isaiah, it's talking about outsider-insider. Who's inside the kingdom and who's outside? Jesus is not afraid to draw the line. Where are you? Where am I? I think there's moments I know I'm on the inside. And then there's moments I do feel on the outside. doesn't mean I am, because we are saved by grace. We do need to be confident in our salvation if we've been brought inside correctly, as, as Ed was talking about. But you have those quiet times where you feel like you're on the outside, right? So guess what the answer is? Keep sowing. Keep sowing. Keep on sowing. Keep on sowing. Because only by being with Jesus will you come onto the inside. I'll be honest, guys, just personally... There are times I'll read the same passage for two weeks and get nothing. And then on that 15th day, I get something. What if I stopped at 12? What if I stopped at 5? Just keep sowing. And God's going to reveal it to us. Amen? You know, Jesus isn't surprised that some will understand and some will not. He's not surprised. So we shouldn't be either. Man, we should crave to be on the inside. Crave to understand and know what is He talking about. we got to just keep on sowing, keep on sowing. You're going to have it in your head before you leave today. Now, after what, what He's all talked about is listening. That entire conversation was all about listening. Those who listen and don't hear it. And those who do listen and listen to Jesus and now understand. So I really do think it's not a parable about the sower. It's a parable about the hearers. How good hearers are you? Let's read on. Because now, Mark includes the interpretation. This is pretty cool. Verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Sharon Dowd in a commentary book called Reading Mark states this about this. The mark in Jesus is not warning the disciples to be good soil. Rather, he is warning them and the overhearing audience, which includes us today, that even as the reign of God takes root and flourishes in some quarters, it will provoke opposition, persecution, and seduction from the forces of evil. It is the nature of the reign of God to provoke opposition. It cannot be otherwise. 
when you think of the audience Mark is speaking to, the persecution that they are now facing and sharing the gospel, sowing the word, he's telling them, guys, don't be surprised of the response to the gospel message. Some are going to be like the path. Some are going to be like rocky soil. Some are going to be like the thorns. But just keep on sowing. Who are the hearers in this explanation? The first one is those who hear, but immediately reject the message. When you're reading the Bible, and you feel that like, and you find this desire to go, no, that's not what he means. Catch yourself. You're not God. He is. Don't just think, no, I know better. You don't. (laughs) Okay? But get help. Ask some questions. Seek input. Maybe you're right. Maybe you've misinterpreted and you need a better clarification. But don't just assume you know better and ignore it. Because then what you've done is exactly what Satan did on the path. You heard it, but then you immediately reject it for whatever reason. You might be rejecting it because of ignorance. You don't understand the context. You might be rejecting it because really your sinful nature doesn't want to hear it. How many times, guys, have you opened up the Bible and you go, Why did I open there? Can I go to the Beatitudes today? Why did it have to be the one about the sin, the sin I'm struggling with? Right? That's why it's always funny when I get texts of scriptures. I'm like, did they know? Like, how they like that's a really obscure scripture. Like, do they know? Have you ever had that? Sometimes they send me like, what are you talking about? Like, like, do you, do you have any idea how that comes across? And like, oh, I'm so sorry, bro. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, think about it. You know? But guys, are we just rejecting immediately? What kind of hearer are you? Those who hear gladly, but not persistently. You have those quick moments in your quiet time. Or the quick moment where you're sharing the faith, but you're not persistent in sowing it. And that's something I had to really look at is, to be honest, with some of my neighbors, I just haven't loved them long enough. We had those little joyful moments, but when I saw that they weren't really open right now, I, I kind of gave up too soon. And I need to go back. I need to go back and, and engage. I've got to change in that area. How about those who hear many conflicting voices along with the gospel? That's why, guys, Jesus went away to a solitary place when He connected with God. Do you have to try have a quiet time while the kids are still in the house? While your email's beeping? While your phone's calling? Like, guys, you really do need to, to, to get to a solitary place like Jesus. If you're wondering why Jesus was able to be so firm, do what He did. He got away from it to connect. Yeah, we somehow think, I can still have all those things going and have a great time in the Word. Are you better than Jesus? He understood. i got to get out of here. I'm distracted. There's too many voices. That's why I, I just have to go on a prayer run or prayer walk. i just I got to get away from all the other voices so I can hear God. And I can hear my own voice before God. That's why it's good to pray out loud sometimes because then you catch yourself, you're like, oh God, I'm, boy, that was evil <laughs> what I just shared right there. How, how are we hearing? But then there's those who hear, receive, and act appropriately upon the gospel. And what comes from that kind of hearing? Miracles, joy, life transformation, and fruit. When you finally kept sowing, kept sowing, kept sowing, and someone's heart responds. Isn't that a great feeling? 
when you see it, when you see it click in their eyes. That's what I got to keep going for. No matter how many eyes never click, I just got to keep sewing. Because there's someone out there, and I don't know who it is. I have to constantly remind myself what is the person who invited me gave up before me? Because I, I know that it was challenging. The campus ministry that I was brought into, they were four girls and one guy for an entire year at Cal State Northridge. Nothing happened. Not a single baptism. I, I put myself in their shoes. How easy it would have been to just stop sewing. But thank God she kept on sewing and she invited me out. And what happened from that point on, CSUN has a campus ministry ever since, and it's been crazy. And I got to be a part of that. And I got to add to that by sewing. And I had more people turn me down than then said yes. But man, I got to get back to that heart. We just need to keep on sewing. So I don't know about what you think. Do you think this parable is maybe what Mark intended it to be? Is It's not really about the seed. It's not really about our soil. It's about how the seed and soil come together. It's about how do we hear the Word of God. I believe the final statement here is really two things, two motifs that Mark is saying. The first one is encouragement. Hey guys, you're going to get rejected. Three out of four, failed. Even for the sower. But that one is going to be miraculous. That's encouragement for us to not give up. Maybe it's your family member who you've been praying for for years. You've had all the good, the bad, and the ugly conversations, and you just threw your hands up. Keep on sowing. Don't give up. Maybe it's your neighbors. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's your classmates. We just got to keep on sowing. But there's also an exhortation motif. And it's just a simple word, guys. Listen. Listen to God's Word. Listen to the Spirit leading you as you sow that seed. Let us not forget, guys, that God made us an insider. Don't keep it to yourselves. we got to take what's inside to the outside. We don't need to bring people to the church. we got to bring church to the people. <laughs> so my admonition, and I believe what Mark intended in this parable... Just as they had to face the response to the gospel message, I think we too just need to keep on sowing, keep on sowing. Say it with me. Keep on sowing, keep on sowing, keep on sowing, and just get tired of that and you'll blame me later for remembering it. So God, let's, let's, guys, let's go to God in prayer as we take to heart the message of, I believe, the parable of the hearers. God, we want to thank You for the Word. We thank You for the apostles like Mark who wrote these stories down, not only for the audience that he wrote them to, but that You've preserved and protected Your Word so that even today, many, many years later, they're still applicable to us. God, I pray that no matter where our heart is right now in responding to Your seed, we're not going to give up. We're not going to be discouraged. We're not going to close off our ears or our hearts. We're going to listen. We're going to embrace the encouragement that miracles are on their way. Help us to just keep on sowing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.